Jesus' Teaching in Genesareth and Banks of the Jordan Part 7 Jesus in Peter's House Measures Taken by the Pharisees Cures Jesus landed above Bethsaida, not far from the house of the lepers where Peter, Andrew, John, James the Greater, James the Less, and Philip were awaiting his coming. He did not go with them through Bethsaida, but took the shorter route over the height to Peter's dwelling in the valley between that city and Capernaum, where Mary and the other women were assembled. Peter's mother-in-law was in bed sick. Jesus went to see her, but did not cure her yet. They washed the master's feet, and then sat down to a meal, during which the conversation turned principally upon the fact that from the several most famous schools of Judea and Jerusalem, fifteen Pharisees had been sent to Capernaum to spy Jesus' actions. From the larger places, two had been sent, from Sephora's only one, and from Nazareth came that young man who had several times begged of Jesus to be admitted to his disciples, and whom Jesus had again rejected at his last visit to his native city. He had married lately, and was now appointed scribe of the commission. Jesus said to the disciples, Behold, for whom you interceded, he desired to become my disciple, and yet he is now come to lay snares for me. This young man wanted to join Jesus through a motive of vanity, and not being allowed to do so, he took part with Jesus' enemies. The Pharisees forming the commission were empowered to remain for some time in Capernaum. Of those that came in pairs, one returned to report, the second remained to spy Jesus' conduct and teaching. They had already held a meeting before which the centurion Zerubbabel, the son and father, had to appear and answer interrogatories respecting the boy's cure and Jesus' doctrine. They could neither deny the cure nor challenge the doctrine. Nevertheless, they could not reconcile themselves to what had happened. They were angry because Jesus had not studied under them. They found fault with his frequenting the company of common people, such as the Sinians, fishermen, publicans, and sinners. They were indignant at his presuming to teach without a mission from Jerusalem, from the Sanhedrin. They were offended at his not having recourse to themselves for counsel and instruction. And they could not endure that he was neither Pharisee nor Sadducee, that he taught among the Samaritans and cured on the Sabbath day. They were in short furious at the thought that to render him justice would be to denounce and condemn themselves. The young man from Nazareth was a violent enemy of the Samaritans, whom he persecuted in many ways. Jesus' friends and relatives did not want him to teach in Capernaum on the Sabbath. Even his mother was full of anxiety, and she expressed her opinion that it would be more advisable for him to go to the other side of the lake. From such objections, Jesus turned aside with a few brief words and without explanations. There were in Bethsaida and Capernaum immense numbers of sick, of heathens, and Jews. Several troops of the travelers that Jesus had lately met on the other side of the lake were here awaiting him. In Bethsaida were large open inns covered with reeds, some for heathens, some for Jews. Above this place were the heathen baths. Below were the Jewish. Peter accompanied many of the Jewish sick in the precincts of his dwelling, and Jesus next morning healed a large number of them. Jesus had said to Peter the evening before that he should leave his fishery on the following day and help him to fish after men. Soon would he call upon him to quit it entirely. Peter obeyed, though not without some inward embarrassment. 
he was always of the opinion that life with the Master was too high for him. He could not understand it. He believed in Jesus. He saw his miracles. He shared freely his substance with the other disciples. He did willingly all that was enjoined upon him, but yet he felt unfit for such a vocation. He thought himself too simple, too unworthy, and to this was added a secret anxiety for the welfare of his business. Sometimes also it was very vexations to him to find himself the object of such railleries as, He is only a poor fisherman, and yet look at him going around with the prophet, and his house is a perfect rendezvous for fanatics and seditious persons. See how he neglects his business. All this made it a struggle for Peter since, though full of faith and love, he was not at that time so enthusiastic, so zealous as Andrew and the other disciples. He was timid and humble, attached to his ordinary occupations, and in his simplicity would have preferred being left in the peaceful discharge of them. Jesus went from Peter's dwelling over the mountain bridge to the north side of Bethsaida. The whole road was full of sick pagans and Jews, separate, however, the leprous far removed from all others. They were blind, lame, dumb, deaf, paralytic, an exceedingly large number of dropsical Jews. The ceremony of curing was performed with the greatest order and solemnity. The people had already been two days here, and the disciples of the place, Andrew, Peter, and the others whom Jesus had notified of his coming, had arranged them comfortably in the nooks, retired and shady, and the little gardens on the road. Jesus instructed and admonished the sick, who were carried or led, and ranged around him in groups. Some desired to confess their sins to him, and he stepped with them to a more retired spot. They sank on their knees before him, confessing and weeping. Among the heathens were some that had committed murder and robbery on their journeys. Jesus passed by some, leaving them lying unnoticed for a time, while he turned to others. But afterwards coming back to them, he exclaimed, Rise, thy sins are forgiven thee. Among the Jews were adulterers and ursurers. When Jesus saw in them proofs of repentance, he imposed on them a penance, repeated some prayers with them, laid his hands upon them, and cured them. He commanded many to purify themselves in a bath. Some of the heathens he ordered to receive baptism or to join their converted brethren in Upper Galilee. Band after band passed before him, and the disciples preserved order. Jesus went through Bethsaida also. It was crowded with people, as if upon a great pilgrimage. He cured here in the different inns and along the streets. Refreshments had been prepared to Andrew, Andrew's house. I saw some children there, Peter's stepdaughter, and some other little girls of about ten years, two others between eight and ten, and Andrew's little son, who wore a yellow tunic with a girdle. There are also some females of advanced age. All were standing on a kind of covered porch outside the house, speaking of the prophet, asking whether he would soon come, and running from side to side to see whether he were in sight. They had assembled here in order to get a glimpse of him though ordinarily the children were kept under greater restraint. At last Jesus passed, turned his head toward them, and gave them his blessing. I saw him going again to Peter's and curing many. He cured about one hundred on that day, pardoned their sins, and pointed out to them what they should do in the future. I saw again that Jesus exercised many different manners of curing, and that probably he did so in order to instruct the disciples as to how they should act also the ministers of the church till the end of time. All the actions of Jesus, 
Even his sufferings appeared to be of a purely human nature. There were no sudden, no magical transformations in the cures he wrought. I saw in them a certain transition from sickness to health, analogous to the nature of the malady and the sins that had given rise to it. I saw stealing upon those over whom he prayed, or upon whom he laid his hand, a certain stillness and inward recollection, which lasted for some moments, when they rose up as if from a slight swoon, cured. The lame rose without effort, and cast themselves cured at his feet, though their full strength and agility returned to some only after a few hours, to others not for days. I saw some sick of the dropsy who could totter toward him without assistance, and others who had to be carried. He generally laid his hand on their head and stomach, and pronounced some words, after which they at once arose and walked. They felt quite relieved, the water passing from them in perspiration. The leprous, on being cured, immediately lost the scales of their disease, though still retaining the red scars. They that recovered sight, speech, or hearing, had at first a feeling of strangeness in the use of those senses. I saw some swollen with gout cured. Their pains left them, and they could walk, but the swelling did not go down at once, though it disappeared very soon. Convulsions were cured immediately, and fevers vanished at his word, though their victims did not instantly become strong and vigorous. They were like drooping plants regaining freshness in the rain. The possessed usually sank into a short swoon from which they recovered, with a calm expression of countenance, and quite worn out, though freed from the evil one. All was conducted quietly and methodically. Only for unbelievers and the malevolent had the miracles of Jesus anything frightful in them. The heathens present on this occasion had been influenced to come chiefly by people that had been to the baptism and teaching of John, and by the other heathens from Upper Galilee, where Jesus had formerly taught and cured. Some had already received John's baptism, and some had not. Jesus did not order them to be circumcised. When questioned on this point, he instructed them upon the circumcision of the heart and the senses, and taught them how to mortify themselves. He spoke to them of charity, temperance, frugality, ordered them to keep the Ten Commandments, taught them some parts of a prayer like the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, and promised to send them his disciples. Part 8. Jesus Teaches and Cures in Capernaum On the preceding evening, flags with knots and strings of fruit were raised on the synagogues and public buildings of Bethsaida to herald the last day of the month, Ab. With the Sabbath, the first day of the month, Elul began. Next morning, after Jesus had healed many sick Jews in Bethsaida, he went with the disciples to Peter's, near Capernaum. The women had preceded him thither, and crowds of sick were again awaiting him. There were two deaf men into whose ears Jesus put his finger. Two others were brought forward, who could scarcely walk, besides which their arms were perfectly stiff and their hands swollen. Jesus laid his hand on them and prayed. Then grasping them by both hands, he swung their arms up and down, and they were cured. The swelling did not, however, disappear at once, but only after a couple of hours. He exhorted them for the journey to use their hands for the glory of God, for it was sin that had reduced them to this state. He cured many others, and then went into the city for the Sabbath. The concourse of people at Capernaum was very great. The possessed had been released from their place of confinement, and ran crying out along the streets to meet Jesus. He commanded them to be silent and delivered them, whereupon, to the astonishment of the multitude, they followed him quietly to the synagogue and listened to his instruction. The Pharisees, and among them those fifteen from the other cities, sat around his chair 
forced to treat him with respect and hypocritical reverence. They gave him the scriptures, and he taught from 49 that God had not forgotten his people. He read aloud, If even a woman should forget her child, yet would not God forget his people? And then explained from the following verse that the impiety of men could not restrain God, could not hinder him from realizing his thoughts of mercy. The time of which the prophet speaks, that the eyes of God are always on the walls of Sion, had now come. Now should the destroyers flee, and the builders commence their labor. The Lord would gather together nations to ornament his sanctuary. There will be so many good and pious souls, so many benefactors and leaders of the poor nations, that the sterile synagogue will say, Who has begotten to me so many children? The Gentiles shall be converted to the church. The kings of the earth shall serve her. The God of Jacob shall snatch from the enemy, from the perverted synagogue, her children. And they that, like murderers, lay hands on the Savior, shall rage against one another and choke one another. 51. Jesus explained this is referring to the destruction of Jerusalem, since it would not receive the kingdom of grace. God demands whether he has separated from the synagogue, whether he has given her a bill of divorce, whether he has sold his people. Yes, on account of their sins have they been sold. On account of her transgressions has the synagogue been abandoned. He has called, he has warned, and no one has heeded. But he is the mighty God. He can cause heaven and earth to tremble. Jesus applied all to his own time. He showed that all had been led astray, those that had been forsaken by the synagogue. And then, as of speaking to himself, he uttered the words of this passage of Isaiah. The Lord hath given me a learned tongue, that I should know how to uphold by word him that is weary. He hath opened his ears to him in the morning to hear his commands, and he hath not resisted. The Pharisees took these words as foolish self-praise, though they were ravished by his preaching and said to one another at the end of it, Never before has any prophet so taught. They whispered, nevertheless, some malicious remarks into one another's ears. Jesus went on with the explanation of this passage. I have given my body to the strikers, and my cheeks to them that plucked them, applying it to the persecutions that he had already endured, and to what he had still to suffer. He spoke of the ill-treatment he had received at Nazareth, saying, Let him who can condemn me come forward. His enemies, he said, would grow old and come to naught in their vain teachings. The judge would come upon them. The godly would hear his voice, while the ignorant, the unenlightened, should call to God and hope in him. The day of judgment would come, and they that had kindled the fire would go to ruin. Chapter 1, verse 11. This passage also Jesus explained of the destruction of the Jewish people and Jerusalem. The Pharisees had not a word to reply. They listened in silence, transported by his words, though occasionally whispering a jeering remark into their neighbor's ear. Jesus then explained something from Moses, as he always did at the termination of his sermons, and added a parable, which he addressed more particularly to the disciples and to the faithless young scribe of Nazareth. The parable was that of the talent put out at interest, for the young scribe was vain of his acquirements. He was humbled entirely by it, but not improved. Jesus related the parable in terms similar to, though not quite the same as those given in the gospel. In front of the synagogue, Jesus cured the sick on the streets, and then went with his disciples to Peter's outside the city gate. Nathaniel chased and the bridegroom, also Thaddeus, 
had come hither from Cana for the Sabbath. Sadius was often in Capernaum, for he traveled a great deal throughout the country, dealing in fishing nets, sailcloth, and tackling. That night the house was again full of sick persons, and separated from the rest were several women afflicted with a flow of blood. Some women, completely enveloped, were brought on portable beds by their friends. They were pale and emaciated, and had already sighed long after Jesus' help. This time I saw that he imposed hands on the sufferers and blessed them. Then he commanded those on the beds to throw off their covers and arise. They obeyed, one helping the other. Jesus exhorted them and bade them adieu. During the night, he retired to pray. The spying Pharisees had not spoken openly in Capernaum of the object of their mission. Even the centurion, Zerubbabel, had been questioned only secretly. They had sufficient pretext to account for their presence. The Jews were in the habit of going from one place to another for the celebration of the Sabbath, especially if a distinguished doctor was expected to preside. It was customary, besides, for crowds to retire into the country of Genesareth, to rest from business and enjoy the beauty and luxuriance that everywhere abounded. On the following day, Jesus went very early to Capernaum. There was an innumerable concourse gathered before the synagogue, among them crowds of sick, of whom he healed many. When he entered the synagogue wherein the Pharisees were assembled, some possessed who were present began to cry out after him. One in particular, more noisy than his fellows, went running toward him, crying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus of Nazareth? Thou hast come to destroy us. I know that thou art the Holy One of God. Jesus commanded the demon to be silent, to go out of the man. The latter, tearing himself, ran back among his companions, but the devil, uttering great cries, went out of him. The man then became perfectly calm and cast himself at Jesus' feet. Many of those present, and especially the disciples, said in the hearing of the Pharisees, who were scandalized at what they saw, What kind of a new doctrine is this? Who can this teacher be? He has power over the impure spirits. The crowd was so dense, there were so many sick in and around the synagogue, that Jesus had to take his stand on a spot to be seen and heard not only from within, but also from the court, which was crowded. The Pharisees stood around him inside, while Jesus himself turned toward the court to address the people. Sometimes he turned toward the interior of the synagogue, and again toward those outside. The halls around the building were open for the accommodation of the immense throng of hearers who filled not only the court, but mounted the steps leading to the flat roofs of the buildings that enclosed it. Below were the cells and oratories reserved for penitents and those that came to pray. There were some places specially reserved for the sick. Jesus again clearly and energetically expounded Isaiah, applying all to their own time and to himself. The times, he said, were fulfilled and the kingdom was near. They had always longed after the fulfillment of the prophecies. They had sighed for the prophet, the Messiah, who would relieve them of their burdens. But when he would come, they would not receive him because he would fail to realize their erroneous notions of him. When taking the signs of the coming of the prophet, for whose accomplishment they always sighed, those signs that were still read from the scriptures in their synagogues, and for which they prayed, he proved that they had all been fulfilled. He said, The lame shall walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. Is there not something of this now? What mean these gatherings of the Gentiles to hear instruction? What do the possessed cry out? Why are the demons expelled? Why do the cure praise God? Do not the wicked persecute him? Do not spies surround him? But they will cast out and kill the son of the Lord of the vineyard. And how shall it be with them 
If ye will not receive salvation, yet shall it not be lost. Ye cannot prevent its being given to the poor, the sick, to sinners and publicans, to the penitent, and even to the Gentiles in whose favor it shall be taken from you. Such was the substance of Jesus' discourse. He added, John, whom they have imprisoned, acknowledged to be a prophet. Go to him in his prison and ask him, For whom did he prepare the ways, and of whom did he bear witness? While Jesus spoke, the rage of the Pharisees increased, and they whispered and muttered together. During Jesus' discourse, four distinguished men of Capernaum, sick of an unclean malady, were carried by eight others less sick to the synagogue, and placed in such a position in the court that Jesus could see them, and they could hear his teaching. On account of their sickness, they were allowed to enter only by one particular gate, that being just at present obstructed by the crowd. The eight semi-invalids had to lift them in their beds to a place over a wall and force their own way through the crowd, which at once retreated before the unclean sickness. When the Pharisees saw the newcomers, they became angry and began to snarl at them as public sinners suffering from an unclean malady. They spoke aloud against them, asking what kind of irregularity was this, that such people should venture into their vicinity. When their remarks ran through the crowd and reached the object of them, the poor sick men became sad and frightened, lest Jesus, being formed of their sins, should refuse to cure them. They were full of contrition, and had long sighed for Jesus' assistance. But when Jesus heard the murmuring of the Pharisees, he turned on the instant to where the sick men were lying to in fear and anxiety, addressed his discourse to the crowd in the court, and, casting a look full of earnestness and love on the sufferers, cried out to them, Your sins are forgiven you. At this the poor men burst into tears, while the Pharisees, highly exasperated, growled out, How does he dare say so? How can he forgive sins? Jesus said, Follow me down there, and see what I am going to do. Why are you offended at my doing the will of my Father? If you do not want salvation yourselves, yet should you not grudge it to the repentant. You are angry that I cure on the Sabbath. Does the hand of the Almighty rest on the Sabbath day from doing good and punishing evil? Does he not feed the hungry, cure the sick, and shed around his blessings on the Sabbath? Can he not send sickness on the Sabbath? May he not let you die on the Sabbath? Be not vexed that the Son does the will and the works of his Father on the Sabbath. When he reached the sick men, he ordered the Pharisees to stand in a row at some distance, saying, Stay here, for to ye these men are unclean, though to me not, since their sins have been forgiven them. And now tell me, is it harder to say to a contrite sinner, Thy sins are forgiven thee, than to say to a sick man, Arise, and carry thy bed hence? The Pharisees had not a word to answer. Then Jesus approached the sick men, laid his hands on them one after the other, uttered a few words of prayer over them, raised them up by the hand, and commanded them to render thanks to God, to sin no more, and to carry away their beds. All four arose. The eight who had carried them, and who were themselves half-sick, had become quite vigorous, and they helped the others to throw off the covers in which they were wrapped. These latter appeared to be only a little fatigued and embarrassed. Putting together the poles of their portable beds, they shouldered them, and all twelve went off through the wondering and exulting crowd, joyfully intoning the song of thanksgiving. Praised be the Lord God of Israel. He has done great things to us. He has had mercy on his people, and has cured us by his prophet. But the Pharisees, full of wrath and deeply mortified, hurried away without taking leave of the Savior. Everything about Jesus exasperated them. 
his actions, and his manner of performing them, that he was not of the same opinion with them, that he did not esteem them just, wise, and holy, that he associated with people whom they despised, that had a thousand objections to make to him, namely, that he did not keep the fasts strictly. He associated with sinners, pagans, Samaritans, and the rabble at large, that he was himself of mean extraction, that he gave too much liberty to his disciples, did not keep them in proper respect. In a word, everything in him displeased them. Still they could bring no special charge against him. His wisdom and his astonishing miracles they could not deny. Consequently, they took refuge in ever-increasing rage and calumny. When one considers the life of Jesus in detail, the priests and people of his time are found to be pretty much the same as they are nowadays. If Jesus actually returned to earth, for many doctors of the law, from many politicians, he would have to endure still worse things. The sickness of the lately cured consisted in a discharge of impure humors. They were, before their cure, quite exhausted and motionless, as if they had an apoplectic stroke. The eight others were partially lame on one side. The beds consisted of two poles with feet, cross piece in the middle, on which a mat was stretched. They rolled the whole together and carried them on their shoulders like a couple of poles. It was a touching sight. Those men going through the crowds singing.